Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back, not too far removed from WWE Survivor Series to break down everything that happened Monday night on Raw coming out of Survivor Series with WWE still in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, as well as a ton of stuff that happened Friday night on the SmackDown go-home show to Survivor Series that was not directly related to the pay-per-view and therefore was not fit for the instant analysis episode. So we have plenty to go over today. We're also on this show going to talk about those additional WWE releases from late last week that surprised a lot of people, myself included, I believe, Vintage Chris Vanini as well. He is with us today to break down everything. Before we get into it, you guys know the deal here on Getting Over. I absolutely have to remind you that this show is So please, stop making me ask. Stop being marks for yourselves and don't have to be no marks for me. Be marks for this show. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating. Leave a review. Let people know why you listen, why you love the show. Convince them to listen and subscribe. All of those reviews, all of those ratings as well. Just help us massively in the Apple Podcast rankings. We had another really big week with Survivor Series coming down to an end of the year where there's not that many big events. So as a maybe reward for your friends here at Getting Over, those five-star ratings and reviews would make a great holiday present for us. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We are creeping ever so close to that 1,000 followers mark on Twitter in case uh, you listen, but you don't follow yet. Uh, We tweet live during the four major shows. We also tweet polls ahead of and after pay-per-view, so you get to weigh in. We answer your DMs and tweets on the air. The way you do that is by tweeting us and DMing us at Getting Overcast. And uh, yeah, we also share fun media uh, all week long as well, including this past Monday night, especially fun and not fun, uh, given Seth Rollins getting attacked by a fan during the show. We will get to that uh, momentarily. But let me, Chris, welcome you in to the show. Uh, You know, this was a really unique edition of Raw for me, where I tweeted this, but I think it was the first time in a year and a half especially because Raw has been so bad, had been so bad prior to the draft, that I thought Raw was better than the pay-per-view that preceded it. And I'm not saying that Raw was some great show on Monday night, but it was more entertaining to me as a viewer, top to bottom, hour one through the end of hour three than Survivor Series. Yes, I think generally, but I think that's largely because Survivor Series was not good. Very not good. The worst pay-per-view in a year and a half for for, for WWE. I I just kept thinking watching this episode of Raw that like if you're not watching Raw every week and you tune in to watch this episode, you must be so confused (laughs) at what is going on. You've got this giant egg thing going on. You've got Seth Rollins being attacked by a fan. It was a lot of stuff that was like it kind of just felt so insular in that like if you're not following wwe week to week this is not a product that's going to draw in new fans casual fans and i think sometimes when you just kind of take a step back and think about that it's it's kind of a way to evaluate the show and this is one of those shows where everything just felt kind of weird to me and i didn't know what was 
consequential and in, in, in what wasn't in the bigger picture. So kind of a strange episode. I it did feel like a in-between episode, which is weird for a pay-per-view coming off a, a show coming off a pay-per-view. It's usually the show after a pay-per-view sets up new storylines. But because this was a brand to brand pay-per-view, Raw was basically it was a mid show. It was continuing storylines that we've been watching over the last few weeks that had nothing to do with the pay-per-view that just transpired. Like WWE on the show didn't bother to explain that I can remember that Seth Rollins has this contract. He has a number one contendership. They they didn't show it. He didn't have it with him, uh, to my recollection, at least. They didn't explain that Zelina Vega or Queen Zelina, excuse me, and Carmella were legitimately the number one contenders for those women's tag team titles because they beat the champions head to head uh, like four weeks ago at this point. Um, There were a lot of other things. They didn't really explain that Liv Morgan was really the number one contender for Becky Lynch, not just someone stepping to her. In fact, it was strange because they had Becky come out and then didn't address Liv until later in the show, basically doing two separate segments. So there was a lot of stuff about Raw that was odd. I'm not saying by any means it was a perfect show. But what I will continue to say is that from Biggie winning the title to now, and really more than even that, since the WWE draft, Raw is much improved. Like, it doesn't have to be an A show to say that the quality television that we're getting from Raw is eons better than it was four months ago, when it was literally rematch after rematch, the main event division and men's divisions in in totality were completely stale. The women's division was stale. Everything on Raw was stale with the exception of RK Bro. Now you go into the show based on the the people that they have available, some of the matches that we're getting, Big E versus Austin Theory even in the main event, it's fresh, it's different, it's new. And because of that, it holds my attention better than Raw did for the prior, you know, 14 months or so. Yeah, Raw is better than it was six months ago and the previous year before that. I don't think Raw is better than it was two months ago. When you had Biggie winning the title, when you had Bloodline versus, you know, mm-hmm. Bloodline versus New Day, you had a lot of consequential main event matchups. Stuff was happening. Now we're coming off of a pay-per-view uh, and you, they're going to have to kind of get back to that point where kind of stuff is happening. So, yeah, that's where it was kind of in between where it wasn't as bad as it's been. Uh, but I also don't think it's as good as it's been either. Do you agree that? In addition to Raw being better, SmackDown has been worse. Yes. And I think a huge part of that is simply the roster. Yeah. And SmackDown was a loaded roster. And now all of that, especially the tag team division, went over to Raw. And SmackDown's kind of left with not a lot of main event pieces. So it'll take some time, I think, for them to find their footing. Absolutely. Okay. We got a lot of show to talk about. We're going to try to get through today pretty quick. I know that you guys just sat through our 90 minute breakdown of a pay-per-view that didn't necessarily deserve a 90 minute breakdown, but we did need to uh, spend a little bit of time crapping on it where it was appropriate. Uh, We have the main event. We have the good, the bad and the ugly. And then at the end of the show, we are going to talk about those WWE releases. So be sure to stick with us through the entire thing. Chris, let's get to it. Let's start out as we always do by sliding into the main event. I hope those pauses were equally dramatic for everyone else listening around the world here. All right. uh, So look, let's talk about this egg, this golden egg, which continued into Raw as we knew it would. 
uh, coming out of Survivor Series. Vince McMahon was angry about the egg in the Raw Open. Uh, he told Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville, hey, you're going to get fired uh, if we don't find the culprit. But if they or anyone finds who robbed him, uh, they would get brought to justice, number one. And number two, whoever found them would get a WWE championship match against Big E in the main event of the show. So we saw because of that, wrestlers were tearing apart the locker room backstage looking for the egg. R-Truth accidentally walked into the women's bathroom. That was semi-funny. He picked up a football thinking it was an egg. Also semi-funny. You know, <laughs> not, not, not hysterical, but R-Truth is R-Truth. Uh, Sami Zayn confirmed the WWE title opportunity with McMahon later in the show and said he was pretty sure he knew who stole the egg. Kevin Owens was shown looking for the egg on his own. He was curious about the title opportunity as well. Sonya later told Vince, they found who took the egg. They know who it is. Austin Theory walks into the office that has Adam Pierce, Sonya Deville, and Sami Zayn already in it with the egg. He apologized. He said, hey, I'm just, I was just trying to take a selfie with it. But there was so much security, I didn't want others to see me do it. So I took it out of the locker room and blah, blah, blah. Sammy was there because I think the idea was he was the one who caught Theory, and therefore he deserved to get the WWE title chance. Vince said, eh, you know what? In typical Vince fashion, by the way, eh, screw it. I'm going to drop the charges. Let's let's not do that. You have guts, kid. You have gumption. So I'm going to give you, Austin Theory, the WWE championship opportunity that, of course, made Sami Zayn apoplectic. He starts complaining. And Vince, in classic Vince, and this was really the best usage of Vince, Vince and Sami, uh, throughout this entire thing, they operated so well together. Um, he gave him the, shut up, you know, thing that he normally does. And he said, no one likes a snitch. So look, Chris, we established on Survivor Series that this was incredibly stupid. But I have to say, <laughs> the resolution to it with Sammy and Theory, it was really well done. Like, it was right up both of their alleys. Sammy hearing about a WWE title chance trying to pounce on it. Theory being dumb. He's not a himbo like he was in NXT, but a dumb, naive type of young guy on the roster. It was a perfect usage of Sammy. And until the final segment, it was bad. But the final segment, I thought, was legitimately funny with all of them and Vince in the room together. So... While it was absolutely ridiculous to have had it at Survivor Series, if this had been completely contained to one episode of Raw, I would not have disliked it as much as I did. I just felt it was so out of place and forced and poorly done also on the pay-per-view. But on TV, it was actually not that dissimilar from some, from some shit that WWE used to randomly do during the Attitude Era, where they would cook up something crazy and stupid play it out over the show, and then it would disappear forever. Does that take make sense to you? Yes, and I feel somewhat similar. I think the I, I, I think I like the idea more than some of the execution. I mean, look, someone won a title shot. Like, that's something of consequence. So I, I, I like that. And it was a, a new face, Austin Theory getting a title shot. Like, okay, I, I, I can deal with that. It, it 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 was but making it a comedy segment like a full-blown comedy segment i think took away from it a bit to have everybody everybody together looking for it like they should be spread out looking for the egg why are they all looking in the same place <laughs> this is not this is not the 24 7 title that, that's, <laughs> that's, how, very that's how they treated it that was that was my issue 
the way Kevin Owens talked about it in that interview backstage where he was like being serious and saying, by the way, like, have you seen the egg? I've, I've been kind of looking for it. That like that added some importance to it, to know that someone like Kevin Owens was looking for it, not just, you know, the 24-7 crew that's running around. Um, so that helped. And that was a, a way to basically treat it like, OK, this is a big deal. You get a title shot. This is not just some goofy joke egg thing going on. So I, I, I think you it could have been presented a little bit better. But overall, yeah, it was it something happened. And so I'm OK with that. The, the only other thing, and I didn't say this on the Survivor Series show, I don't think, but they basically did this whole thing as a promotion for the Rocks movie. Yeah. And they didn't get anything from the Rock for it. <laughs> I mean, like we said Sunday, we didn't get a Rock video saying, hey, my WWE fans, I love you guys, blah, blah, blah. Like they they made a whole storyline out of a promotion for the Rock movie. It didn't even get anything back from the Rock for it. So <laughs> I just thought this whole thing was weird. Well, what they Could've, got, what they got was one or two million dollars from Netflix. I mean, that's right, why they're right. Playing. But but if you're if, if if publicly, you know, on the show, they didn't get any reward for, you know, shelling shilling themselves out like that. So it was overall it was weird. But for a one to two night story, you get a title shot out of it. Okay, I, I overall I'm okay with it. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to forgive. I want to clarify for everyone who might be listening saying, what the hell are you guys talking about? I am not forgiving them for doing this on Survivor Series. It was terrible. It made it actively made Survivor Series worse. It was stupid. Uh, the saying it was a hundred million dollar gift was nonsensical. It, it was not based in any form of reality. A million? You want to say it's a million dollar egg? <laughs> and not and not the real one, but the replica they used, but it was worth a million dollars? Okay. Like, yeah. I'll buy that. And all of a sudden... Now I understand. But $100 million was so beyond the pale of absurdity that it completely took me out of it. I thought it was terrible. However, from the start of Raw onward, I just didn't have much of an issue with it. If it was a sponsorship that was contained just to Raw and it played out the way it did. And look, maybe, maybe the truth is just I like Sami Zayn and this character so much. And I like Austin Theory and him, his character so much that... Maybe it's just because they were involved that I liked it. And maybe that's it. Maybe just it was those final couple of scenes with Sammy and Vince, which were really fun, him interacting with Vince. And by the way, like, is that a harbinger for the future where it's like, you know, are, are they going to use this where he's on Vince's bad side to explain him leaving the company if he does when his contract expires? Or was Sammy being in a segment with Vince an indicator that Vince really likes him and maybe yeah. trusts Sammy and maybe Sammy's going to stay? Like, there's all the fourth wall stuff to consider as well. I I, I did think about that. I did think like, hey, Sammy's on screen with Vince McMahon here and just, you know, more than holding his own, more than keeping his character, like looks totally natural. I, I think Sammy looked kind of good, you know, next to Vince in that situation. He really did. He looked great working with Vince in that way. So maybe it's because of that, that just I like those people so much that it saved it and I could forget the absurdity of the entire thing. But I also do think it's fair to say, and I tweeted this as well, that Sometimes, not always, but occasionally, we take this shit too seriously. Um, and the egg thing was stupid, but they've done stuff like this before and it hasn't been that bad. So again, Sunday, terrible. Monday, meh. Second half of Monday, 
pretty damn funny with the eggs. So that is how I want to leave it. Um, you know, and we can kind of move forward here. So there's a lot of tangential things that happened with this storyline. We're going to encapsulate it all in the main event. And then we're going to talk about the rest of the show in the second half. So we had a United States championship match. Damian Priest had an open challenge and Commander Aziz uh, came out with Apollo Crews. He tried speaking. It was an absolute disaster. Apollo Crews cut his normal promo about embracing his heritage. It was nothing. Priest put himself over as a New Yorker. The crowd popped and told Cruz to take the challenge. But Cruz said no. Now, Chris, why Apollo Cruz would be offered a U.S. championship <laughs> match and turn it down? I have no idea. I mean, if he at least said on the mic, like, well, it's your hometown. I'm not going to do that to myself. I'm going to save it. Sure, I would buy that. He didn't even have an explanation. He just said no. After coming out to do this. Right. <laughs> like, what was the point? I like, don't know. That made didn't make a shred of sense to me. So because he said no, that brought Sami Zayn out saying the WWE conspiracy goes all the way to the top. Everyone can see it now with Vince McMahon. And he was not going to leave the show without a title. Uh, so he challenged Priest and Priest accepted. So Sammy hit an exploder into the barricade outside and a blue thunderbomb inside for a near fall. Zayn countered Reckoning into a roll-up and purposely slid outside to choke Priest on the ropes. Sammy talked trash holding the U.S. title. That made him snap uh, into Damien. So he immediately crushed him south of heaven and the Reckoning for the win. This was a solid way to establish Priest's character, sacrificing someone who can easily take the loss and isn't on the brand. He's on the other brand. So it doesn't hurt a future feud or anything like that. It was a good way since Sammy was there to kind of just help Priest, build him up a little bit and kind of allow Sammy to move on. The work was good. And I thought everything here was relatively strong, except for the part with Cruz and Aziz. Yeah, I, I still just generally remain confused about Priest and what he is, if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I don't even remember. Do we know why he has a split personality now? Did they give an explanation a few weeks back or something? There's not really an explanation. It's more just like, this is what this guy is. Like, it's clearly what it, it's. They're they're giving it to us very blatantly. And they're just right. showing us. They that, just, they, we, we haven't gotten the backs. We haven't gotten why he's doing this. There's a moment he snapped or whatever. Like, he's just, he's just a new character now. And I think the idea, gotta, I think the idea is that he was always this way, but. Now that side of him is getting brought out more that he's champion. But 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 he wasn't. I mean, we saw him with 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 Bad Bunny and all these things. And like this is it's completely new. It's like, yeah, I, I know. I'm not I know. I, I'm not saying this to you. I'm just saying like they're presenting a new character for no reason. And I'm waiting for that reason. There I'm, wasn't I'm waiting a, there for, wasn't a catalyst. Like, yeah, I'm, it, I'm waiting for something happened to him and he snapped or or something happened in his past that he kept down and now it's back. Like, I need a reason for why he's doing this because he's not a new character. Like he's not a new person. He's been on the main roster. He just got a huge WrestleMania spot. Like he hasn't disappeared. He's been the champ. This, this character change is happening during his title reign, which, which is another yeah, thing. So I'm just, that's true. I, 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 I'm like, they reset him in the middle of his reign. And I'm just waiting for that reason. Why it's, it's, it's just, it's just bothering me every time I see it. It, it would be, again, this is what we talk about with WWE. It's like they miss the little things all the time. It would have been nice if, he got bro kicked in the head by Sheamus one time. And then you saw him and like he looked a little off. And then the yeah. next week he came out and kind of snapped, but it was not a heavy snap. It was just like a, a moderate. He got angry. He looked at himself like, hey, why did I do that? And then the next week he comes out as a different character. It's a, a quick three week storyline where you give an explanation for a guy 
slightly changing his character. That's all we need. I don't need a six month storyline explaining why he's changed. But if you give me two or three weeks to set it up, that's better than just changing it on the fly. Like what, like what you're saying. Yeah. And again, weird to do in the middle of his title reign. I don't you know. He looked like the guy, you know, a few months back, he opened a raw with the promo and you were kind of like thinking he was going to be the new big baby face push. And now he's this thing. So, well, you know, I don't even know what he is. I don't know if he's supposed to be a heel. If he's a face who has a dark side, he was a heel on Sunday. Uh, He was a heel on Sunday, you know, hitting boobs with his guitar and breaking the guitar is a pretty much a heel thing. Then he's the face in New York on Monday. What, what I feel like is WWE saw him as champion and they've pushed him and they like him, which is good that they like him. Right. So that's a positive. Right. But they saw him and they're like, look, what is this character? He's the archer of infamy. What the hell does that mean? Not like, anymore, not. Well, no, I'm he saying he was. He he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. So I, I, my guess is they saw him and they're like, this is a guy we believe in, but we need to give him something meatier because his character that he has now really isn't much of anything other than the guy who worked with Bad Bunny. So I should note, I don't hate this character necessarily. The entrance looks super cool. His new music is good. Mm-hmm. It's different than the Damian Priest that we've come to know from NXT and from when he debuted on the main roster. It's not necessarily worse in any way. It's equal, or maybe you could argue, some could argue it's better. Um, but the fact that we don't have a reason for it, it leaves it, you know, what's the word I'm looking, vacant. Yeah. A little bit, you know? All right, let's keep going here. Um, so still kind of within this whole framework of this overall storyline, uh, we had Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor scheduled for a match. Rollins bragged about, being the sole survivor, and fans naturally sang his entrance music, which was really cool to hear Barclay Center do that. He attacked and brutalized Balor before the bell. He ran steel steps into him and hit the stomp. Then he left the ring, came back, and hit another stomp. And then as Rollins is walking backstage, a fan comes out of nowhere and attacks him in what was a really legitimately scary moment, and Rollins' mouth was bloody after you could tell. Uh, So as far as the, let's talk about the wrestling first. It was a solid attack that made Rollins look like a piece of shit doing that to Balor. But I don't understand what the point of this is. Now, if this was purely for an angle or if Balor is potentially hurt and needs to be written off, there were rumors that a couple of weeks ago he suffered a minor injury, I think, while they were overseas, but was able to work through it. It's possible that whatever that injury was either got re-aggravated or wasn't actually minor. I don't know. But it seemed like a, a way you would write someone off for, for you know short term for an injury angle. But given Rollins is already feuding with Biggie and Kevin Owens, it was kind of surprising to see this and not just have them use someone else, maybe like a Damian Priest, given what we just talked about. I did find it good, though. Um, and then as far as the fan goes, I don't think it really needs to be said. But what an absolute piece of shit scumbag. You can yourself, too. Yeah. Um, as for the Balor Rollins stuff, yeah, it, it was kind of random. I know it kind of tied into Survivor Series the night before. You know, Rollins got some more heel heat on him, so that works. I, I'm not sure what it means moving forward. Maybe, maybe we're holding off Rollins Big E, and we're gonna do a Rollins Finn feud here, which would be fun for sure. So, um, I don't know. Didn't have really many other thoughts on that. Uh, as for the fan. Uh, that was crazy. Um, I, I, I saw a video right before we started recording of the one of where the guy came from, which is far back by the, the 
Titantron off mm-hmm. on the right side. He got a huge running start when he oh, came yeah. into Rollins. Yeah, so um, glad Rollins is okay. I saw in the videos, I think it was Michael P.S. Hayes was at the entrance. I don't know, ready to fuck some people up or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so um, that was uh, a bit scary. It's always kind of weird. You always kind of basically just want the fans to get the shit kicked out of them when that happens. And um, yeah, I know Chavo Guerrero kind of tweeted something like that. Uh, Chavo, Chavo Guerrero was an asshole. Of what yes. Straight yes. up. Yes. Basically saying Rollins wasn't tough or something like that. I, I I don't know. The dude got basically blindsided and then security. And by the way, and by the way, he, and, got, yeah. he got blindsided and got the guy in a headlock in three seconds. Yes. Yes. He had a, yes. He was going to choke that guy out if other people didn't. Like Rollins, I'm saying, was yes. going to choke out that fan if other people didn't come Yes. And take him off of him. And and Rollins also, again, this was in the middle of filming. This wasn't in a commercial or something. So Rollins also had to get back into position and get, you know, get up on the stage and stuff to finish the segment. So uh, he did a remarkable job doing all of that uh, as well. So I'm glad he's OK. And, and yeah, uh, pretty messed up. Yeah. Number one most important thing is that he's OK. So very good. Uh, Biggie uh, was in a backstage promo. He said he had no excuses for losing to Roman Reigns. But like. After five seconds of saying that, he quickly moved on. He brushed past it to say he has a lot of people coming after him, but he would be sure to take care of theory. Then he did uh, Larry David's pretty, 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 (laughs) pretty good from Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I personally appreciated. I got to say, like Biggie, I interviewed him on this podcast. I've said it before. We talked about Seinfeld. This dude, it feels to me like a kindred spirit with me. Loves Seinfeld, loves Curb. Um, just the way he acts and presents himself and, and treats people in a positive manner. It's a, he's a great, it seems like a great guy. So, and someone that would be a lot of fun to hang out with. Um, but anyway, love the curb reference. Did you get a chance, by the way, Chris, we'll move on quickly. Did you get a chance to see the Seinfeld gear this time? Cause he showed it off a little bit. Um, no, I was, I was, I was writing during raw, so I didn't oh, okay. pay super close attention to thing, but I missed that, but I did get the curb reference by the way. And it was, oh, you did know. very good. Let's yes. Yes, I do Give watch a Curb. For I do watch Curb, yes. although I'm a couple episodes behind this. Oh my god, this week's Sunday night was so freaking good. Oh my god, it's incredible. Um, it, it's more of a. It wasn't just a Seinfeld gear; it's a Festivus gear. So it's a little bit early for okay. him to do that. But they're in New York, so I presume that's why he's doing it. Um, now. Yeah, you know? no, for sure makes sense. That's cool. Anyway, uh, so Theory later got promo time to say he's the future of WWE. McMahon knows that, and Biggie is going to find out when he takes a selfie as the new WWE champion. It was, I thought, an extremely good promo. It was short from theory, uh, but a brand, you know, the guy's a brand new roster member. I think he's like 24 years old. He's super young. And he just continues to be, to prove that he's beyond his years talent-wise. Yeah, he feels like a big deal, a guy with a lot of potential. Um, I do hope, you know, within the next handful of weeks, we get to know more about Austin theory and not just that he's the selfie guy, right? You know, tell us his background, tell us how he feels, give us, give us some more character depth. He's got a lot of potential there. I, I things have been good so far, but don't make him just the selfie guy. You know, I hope they continue to build for him. And this is an example of kind of how they can start doing that. Yeah. he He's very much um, the way I look at him is similar to the John Cena, Randy Orton when they debuted. Not, I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's going to be a star like them. He could be, um, but he has that same, the look, the really clean cut, 
you know, guy who could be a face of the company, could be someone who wrestles for WWE for 20 years. And he has been that ever since he was in Evolve and wrestling in the independence where WWE was keeping an eye on him the entire time. He was a Evolve champion. I think he was a two-time uh, WWN champion. So this is this is a guy who has a legitimate pedigree and is super young. We talk all the time about the pillars of AEW, the Sammy Guevara's, the MJF's. This is the equivalent right now, one of the few in mm-hmm. WWE. They really need to be careful with the way they book him and uh, treat him. And so far, so good, you know, in his, in this return to the main roster. That mm-hmm. continued with the main event of the show, the WWE Championship on the line, Big E versus Austin Theory. One thing I wanted to point out, and I tweeted this GIF so you guys can go uh, look at it, GIF, GIF, whatever. You guys can go look at it on the account at Getting Overcast. But so Seth Rollins came out before the match between Big E and Theory. And he played up the attack from earlier. He looked around him to like make sure no one was coming. And then he laughed manically as if like no one can touch me. I mm-hmm. loved that he did that. And please go look at our Twitter account because I clipped it and it's really freaking funny. Um, then Owens came out after the bell. He dominated before Rollins hit the knee that he injured during uh, Survivor Series. There's a lot of ease in that sentence. That allowed Theory to hit a rolling neckbreaker. KO took a shot at Rollins. They argued about integrity at ringside. Theory was distracted by the argument, which a neophyte, a young guy, would be distracted, right, in, a, in an important situation. Biggie caught him with the big ending for an easy one, two, three. E then ran the heels into each other outside, threw Rollins over the announce table, and chased Owens out of the ring. Then he caught Rollins with a big ending to stand tall at the end of Raw. So this wasn't the cleanest main event for me, like, by any means. The match also being treated secondary to the storyline. I don't love that. I like when the matches are made to be more important. And really, throughout this entire show, none of the matches really felt important. But it sure does seem like WWE is trying to stretch this feud with Rollins and Owens all the way to day one. And this was a solid enough way, I thought, to tell the story while helping Big E look strong with a victory in a title match and hitting his finisher on Rollins one night after losing clean to Roman Reigns. It was also cool for Theory to get another big spot and opportunity on TV, and he did perfectly well in that opportunity. WWE is clearly high on him, and it's for good reason. So for me, this all worked. Was it incredible wrestling and booking? No, it wasn't incredible, but it was above average, you know, more than satisfactory, and I found it entertaining. Yeah, I I think that's a good way to, to sum it up. You wanted Theory to get some shine. You didn't want this to only be about Kevin Owens and Rollins being around Big E, and that was a big focus, maybe too much of a focus. Um, but, you know, it it worked. Again, again for, for a story they told within the episode, the egg thing, Theory getting it, getting his title shot, it, it, it worked. Again, I don't know if this was a thing that was going to bring in any lapsed wrestling fans, but in this world, the story they told for a day or two, um, it was fine. It, it worked. Not spectacular, but but it was it was solid. Certainly, I've seen plenty of works from Raw. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and again, because this this just felt like it was a throwaway Raw. Like, it shouldn't be. The Raw after Survivor Series should not be a throwaway show, but it kind of felt that way. It just did. Right. And exactly. I found that to be interesting. So, okay, that's the main event. Uh, we got plenty more to talk about from Raw and SmackDown. We're still going to talk about the releases at the end of the show. But first, it is, of course, time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your money gets 
get funny and them days ain't sunny. We showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. So we spent a lot of time talking about the men. Let's spend some time talking about the ladies. We'll start with Raw, where Becky Lynch quickly went back to turning full heel from her tweener character against Charlotte, saying fans were fickle because they always want fresh and new. Uh, fans popped for Liv Morgan's name, and she directly called out the fans for disrespecting the women during the Survivor Series match. I fucking Ooh, loved man. that because it was so damn true. The yep. best promos from heels are accurate and truthful, whether it's a shred mm -hmm. or whether it's entirety. She nailed the fans for what they did Sunday night during Survivor Series. She ended by saying no one would take the title off of her. It would have been a really good spot there for Liv Morgan to show up. But straight up, Becky had me hook, line, and sinker with this promo. I thought it was a damn good one. Yeah, you... You said on Sunday, after the Survivor Series show, that she might be the best women's promo ever. This confirmed. If I'm remembering correctly, yeah. yeah. And and to do this the next day only further solidify that. And you can you can make a promo like that in a place like New York, especially because it mm -hmm. was the same group of fans, because it was the same arena. Yep. And you know the the the, the heels who call out. Fans who are really into it, it always works. I think about Kevin Owens calling out the NXT fans, calling them the John Cena of fans way back in the day uh, at Full Sail. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this this was a, a great, great promo for Becky to, again, basically work as the face on Survivor Series, but have the talent to come back the next day and be the heel again. Um, just, just tremendous work. Between those two things and that promo that she cut... Um... I think it was a week ago where she, the first half of the promo was her being a face cutting it on Charlotte. And then she literally like snapped her fingers and mm -hmm. turned heel and in, in, in the same promo segment, cut mm -hmm. a heel promo against Liv. It's master. It's masterclass. It's it. There's no one better. No one better in the history of wrestling for females at, at least um, cutting promos than Becky Lynch and forget gender. She's top 10, maybe top five right now. Any brand, male or female, on the mic for a wrestler. Yep. She's just yep. absolutely incredible. So uh, I'm assuming you're agreeing with me. Good there. Good. Uh, Very good. Later, Liv Morgan said like 10 words in an interview when Becky interrupted, saying Bianca Belair saved Liv from, an, from under delivering in another big match, just like Money in the Bank. Morgan said she took Lynch out and held her title last week. And Becky came back by saying, yeah, I also let little kids hold my title at autograph signings. <laughs> Holy shit, dagger to the freaking heart. Uh, Becky called her embarrassing, saying even her friends are gone, referring to Ruby Riot and Sarah Logan. Liv started crying, and Becky made fun of her, only to get punched in the face. They did a nice job, I thought, hiding Liv on the mic here, it's on her strong suit, by letting her react uh, emotionally and then physically to Becky. It was a good way to continue their feud without forcing a match or more stuff in the ring. Again, it seems like WWE is trying to stretch out these feuds until day one. So if that is where this match is going to happen, you need things to go down in between. And I thought this was pretty well done. What they need to do, though, is build up Liv Morgan before that match. She needs to be having television yeah. matches against other women in the division and beating them. She should beat Nikki Ash. She should beat Carmella. You know, she needs to get some of those wins and build up a resume 
before she actually does fight for the title. Yes, we we need to believe she has a chance. You know, WWE always likes to say you got to gain momentum before going into the pay per view, which they only bring up like on the go home show. They only Liv bring Morgan, up when it's convenient for them. Man. Yeah, but but live but live Morgan does need that. And and, and back to Becky, I, one thing I just I love about her and that match with Charlotte and that promo video, and it kind of, it'll, it'll tie into something here that someone tweeted at us about. There is such an intensity there that is so lacking in the rest of the show. And when I talk about Goldberg and the reasons I sometimes like him showing up on screen is because he brings an intensity that just isn't elsewhere. So much of the show is either comedy or sarcasm or whatever. I, I want someone who's just like talking directly about kicking someone's ass and doing it. And it's very attitude era esque in that so much of the attitude era was like that. And we got a tweet yesterday from uh, crisis actor bagger vance on twitter because i had made a tweet about creed and because yesterday was the anniversary of the creed halftime show at the cowboys game but back in 2001 i think uh, wwe released that my sacrifice video with the creed song uh to to, to wwf wrestlers doing stuff and i watched that video last night uh yesterday during that and um it just reminded me that there was like an intensity all the time with wrestling back then. And that's what I feel like with Becky Lynch is that she just brings energy and it like shit's going down when she shows up and you want to pay attention. And it's so refreshing to see. And it's just an example of, of, uh, of everything she can do. Uh, so we did get a DM from Brett Charles Malam at Brett underscore Malam. He says, SK, you seem to be a supporter of lives. I'd be interested to hear you break that down some, because it seems like her groundswell of support came out of nowhere. To use that unfortunate cliche, she's a solid hand, but I wonder if she can be that sort of women's main event 20-minute barn burner match that the four horsewomen and Bianca can have. She also doesn't seem to be too great on the mic. So I get back to why the huge support. So it's a fair question and a good question. You have to remember that a lot of people, the support for Liv Morgan grew well before Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley um, and even Shayna Baszler. We're on the main roster. WWE's women's roster for a long period of time was even thinner um, than it is now. And it, they've built it up some, so credit to them for that. But WWE, and we talk about it on the show all the time, it only trusts like six women to be in the title picture at any given time. It's the four horsewomen, Asuka, and like Carmella. And, and no one else really ever gets an opportunity. What happened with Liv is she got called up with the Riot Squad. Ruby Riot was the one who everyone wanted to get the opportunity because she had the chops. She had the independent wrestling experience as I think her name was Heidi Lovelace. Um, mm -hmm. And she never got that opportunity. And I think a lot of people saw that WWE wouldn't give her the opportunity, which is unfortunate, and kind of said, well, Liv Morgan's here and she's kind of the other one who we can possibly get behind. Does it hurt that she's attractive and, 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 you know, cool. And, and on Twitter seems to have a great personality. I don't think that hurts at all. Right. But in addition to that, Liv Morgan over an extended period of time has posted videos on Twitter showing her training with Natalia and Tyson Kidd and trying and, and actually significantly improving in the ring. That doesn't mean she's one of the 10, 15, 20, 25 best women's wrestlers in the world. She's not, but she's actively making herself better and doing what it takes 
to be better and get opportunities. And yet she never got opportunities, even when rosters were extremely thin, people injured and out. They would just repeat a feud for four months as opposed to just give Liv Morgan a chance. At some point, you just want to see wrestlers be worked in and out of situations and get opportunities. That's why her winning Money in the Bank would have made a lot of sense because she's a sympathetic baby face. She was the perfect person to win that, not Nikki Ash, okay? So you couple all of that um, with the fact that, like I said, she has improved and you want these divisions to go through cycles. It's great that Becky Lynch is going to fight Bianca Belair four times and Rhea Ripley is going to get her opportunities and this person and that person. But it doesn't hurt for four to six weeks to give Liv Morgan the chance and see what if she steps up. They did it with Carmella. Carmella was very bad in the ring. Well, guess what? She improved massively in the ring. Yep. They gave her opportunities. She showed she could cut a promo and do things. And, And she had a feud with Sasha Banks that worked. She won money in the bank. And now they see Carmella as someone who can, in a pinch, you know, she's not going to be a a champion for multiple months at a time. But in a pinch, if they needed her, they know they can trust her. Liv Morgan never even got a sniff of that opportunity. And in addition to uh, Carmella improving on the mic, Carmella got much, much better in the ring. When she had that feud with Sasha Banks, she proved that she could go with anyone at any given time. Liv never even got anything close to those opportunities. So when we see someone on the main roster for an extended period of time, and we say, hey, there might actually be something there with her. We want her to get a chance. That's why I've been a Liv Morgan supporter. It's the same reason why, and we know he's way better just by a a shitty comparison, but it's the same reason I'm a Cesaro supporter because you see this guy, you know, he can wrestle, you know, he can tell stories in the ring. And you're like, why has he never gotten a main event championship opportunity? They finally gave him one. Is he still a main eventer now? No. Does WWE know they can use him in that spot in a pinch if they need to? Yes, that's all we want for Liv Morgan. Or at least I'm speaking for myself. That's all I want for Liv Morgan. Yeah, I mean, you summed it all up pretty well there. And I went long I, really on that. I did not mean to. I mean, yeah. I, it's fair. I mean, you, you've been talking about Liv for a while. And 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 considering she hasn't gotten to um, gotten long matches and stuff, I'm, I, I think it's a question a lot of people have probably had. And considering she is in a title feud, I think we needed to explain that. So I think you did it well. I mean, they they won't even give her a 15-minute match, period, like at any point, right? Yeah. So now she's going to get one with Becky, and maybe it's going to be really good. And yeah. just by a comparison, like look over at AEW and Ty Conti. Just just for an she, she was the lone women's match on a pay-per-view for the world championship. That thing happening, doesn't it doesn't happen in WWE. Now, I didn't think Conti really deserved to be in that spot. I didn't think she was really good enough to be in that spot. I think Liv Morgan, just by example, is better than Ty Conti. But I can't know that because I've never seen her get the chance to wrestle a real 15-minute match with a main event woman to like actually go, like her and Sasha, her and Becky, her and Charlotte, and give them the time to allow her to tell a story and show what she can do. So it's for all those reasons that we see these people that we, we are involved in their social media lives. We see them on television week after week, 52 weeks a year. And you're looking at this person, you're like, they deserve an opportunity. They don't, she doesn't deserve to be champion. She deserves a chance. And yeah. now she's uh, getting one. A lot of people for, for a group that didn't accomplish anything, people really liked the riot squad. Yes. And, and I think it was 
Liv or might have all three of them posted on, I think, the 17th. Uh, they all have tattoos yes. of the day they became a team. And that, that anniversary recently came up and they, they posted about it. So, um, uh, yeah, it, 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 they, they matter to a lot of people, even if they don't get a lot of time on TV. Yeah, exactly. So that's the answer. It's not that she's some, some amazing you know wrestler, but everyone deserves a chance when they prove they have sparkles. You know, there's those little things. And you say, hey, maybe there's something in this person. She's never had that. She didn't even have the opportunity in NXT. So there you go. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that went way longer than I thought, but at least we got to talk about Liv Morgan. So let's keep going. Staying with Raw, um, Bianca Belair fought Tamina. Belair came out immediately after the Becky promo we mentioned earlier, which was weird because they didn't have them interact at all. And it happened one after the other. And each of them cut solo in-ring promos. So that was really strange. to, To go promo, promo in general, very weird. Very strange. Uh, she mentioned being the sole survivor and Dewdrop leaving her alone. Natalia was at ringside, even though she's on SmackDown. Belair won clean with the KOD. Natalia attacked from behind for no reason that I can tell after the match. And Bianca bested her. Then Dewdrop attacked her from behind, laid out Belair with a crossbody. And then Dewdrop walked out arm in arm with Natalia and Tamina, which again, Natalia is on SmackDown. So <laughs> now maybe that was just because the roster was there and they did it for one night. But yeah, maybe not. I, I don't know. Uh, this being a direct rematch, this match happened last week. That was aggravating. But WWE, I will say, they've been very decent about not doing rematches recently since they really got called out for it. So one time, I'm not going to give them a demerit for that. This match got plenty of time. Belair went over. I hope Natalia, like I said, being there was just because SmackDown superstars happened to be on the brand due to the stupid egg thing. I'll actually say good here just because it wasn't bad and our categories right. are relatively limiting. So I'll say good. But if this stays repetitive, if we keep getting matches with Natalia and do drop attacks and this thing keeps going on, it's going to go from good to ugly really quick. Yep. Completely agree on all point. This was fine. It was good. But we've got a month and a week until a pay-per-view. Um, we're going to need some story here. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, on Raw, we had a women's tag team championship match, Super Brutality, defending against Royal Beauty, which neither of those names are official, but they've each called themselves that, so that's what I'm <laughs> using, because I like tag team names. Carmella mm-hmm. and Queen Zelina said backstage they were only concerned about Rhea Ripley, not Nikki Ash. Rhea, th- and by the way, this is after weeks of them trashing Nikki Ash individually. Ripley chased Mella, and uh, Mella super kicked her into the ring post. Mella then super kicked Nikki while she was hanging over the ropes, and Zelina hit her with Code Red to win the titles in four minutes and 50 seconds. So WWE had the heels call Nikki pathetic for the larger part of a month and then prove her to be pathetic live on television. They gave a title match less than five minutes and this was just their second title defense in a two-month championship reign. There was no good reason to change the titles, but if you're going to, at least make it a worthwhile match. You know, I always say when they give the, the women three minutes, why can't you give them five to eight? If this was a singles match, I probably would have been okay with the length. But you really are doing a women's tag team match and giving it less than five minutes and it's a match where you're changing the titles. That is just absolutely absurd. I found it to be pathetic. The one positive is they seem to be following through on the Zelina Vega push, having her win Queen's Crown, 
you know, having her win a bunch of matches, even when she beat Tony Storm, or I think it was, and we complained because like, why the hell would you do that when you're just introducing Tony Storm? It's all leading to her going on a consistent winning streak. So I do respect that part of it. And that's the only reason I'm not saying it is completely ugly, but this definitely absolutely was bad. It was bad and it would not have been hard to make it good. Not hard. Agreed. For for everything you laid out. I think this is pretty obvious when Nikki was not in the Survivor Series match and, and Rhea was to just split up a tag team in a Survivor Series match. Clearly, they did not have many future plans for them uh, as champions. So not surprised the title was changed. Wish it could have been done in a more eventful way with more time. Again, beating someone over a long match makes everybody look better. These short matches don't help anybody. And so... It's fine. I've actually liked Carmella and, and Zelina together. They have been pretty entertaining as far as heel tag teams go. Yeah. The problem is annoying. The bro- you know, annoying yeah, heels. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But the problem is we know there aren't any women's tag teams. Right. Like at all. So, you know, I'm expecting them to hold the belts for three months and defend it one time. So, OK, sure. It's good to see Zelina continues to get wins after the Queen of Queen's crown because I expected her to get it do a queen gimmick and lose a bunch. That's not happening. That is good. She also won the tag team titles in New York after that whole terrible way uh, she was treated on the 9-11 anniversary. I actually have news. I actually have news and uh, insight on that, by the way. Yeah. So that was a nice makeup, I guess, for her. Um, This could have been really good. It it really could have. If they just, if if the company had let, put any more effort into that and, and let these women know really shine and, and they didn't make the match twice as long don't let nikki look completely pathetic in the finish that's all you, all they had all they had to do it, everything else was fine with it um so there was some news uh with zelina she did an interview and she was asked about the 9-11 situation uh for those listening who may not remember uh her father died in 9-11 they used her all week to promote that smackdown and and you know also for pr reasons like good she did a lot of good in the community during that week Um, And she had a match scheduled on the show. She got special gear made, the whole nine yards. Well, uh, that match, her match, got cut from that SmackDown. She didn't appear, nor did they have her come out in the dark match or anything like that. So Zelina cut an interview, or or not a cut, not didn't cut an interview, did an interview, where she basically said, a lot of stuff got stirred up about this online. I want to set the record straight. She said that the match got cut for time really late in the show. When it, It was a segment like more than midway through the show that went over. And because of that, there were limited opportunities, limited options for WW for things that WWE needed to cut down. And because of that, she completely understood why it was her segment and the women's segment that got cut because I guess they were like four minutes over and their segment was four minutes or something to that degree. So she said it made sense to her. She also said Vince McMahon called her and profusely apologized, which when the hell have we ever heard Vince McMahon do that? Um, immediately afterwards, and that she had no ill will towards him or WWE and completely understood, even though she was obviously upset personally because she wasn't able to do something she wanted to do. So we shit on WWE for it. A lot of people shit on WWE for it. Do I think they probably could have found a way to still get her on the show or at least have her be in front of the crowd after? 
Yes, I still think that they are not faultless in any way. But she did combat a lot of our criticisms and the negativity surrounding it and the assumptions that were made. And look, we're fair on this podcast. We, we shit on things when they deserve to be shit on and we praise things when they deserve to be praised. But I also make corrections if I'm wrong about something. And if what she is saying is accurate, then we were wrong about this. That, that's right. I, I mean, wrong relatively. Not I mean, wrong. I, not wrong. Like, um, overly angry without knowing the details. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, you, you figured it was something along those lines. We didn't go nearly as far as some people on Twitter did and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but of course, of course, it, it, it's it's still unfortunate that it happened. And, you know, it still happened. We know? were right and, to and be that, angry about it, but it's nice to have the context is the best way I can. Yeah, that, that that's fine. It's still it still sucks that it didn't happen. And you wish it could. Yes, been, so. yes, yes, exactly. All right, let's keep staying with the women. We'll move over to SmackDown. We had Sasha Banks versus Shotzi. They faced off in Gorilla talking trash, and Sonya demanded they shake hands after the match. Why? I guess because they were on the Survivor Series team. Shotzi trapped Sasha's arm in the handle of the steel steps and stomped it. Banks hit a meteora outside and inside the ring. Shotzi screamed, slammed her arm into the post, and hit a flying senton, but Banks rolled outside. Sasha caught her with the bank statement using her leg instead of her injured arm for the crossface portion of it and got the win in 11 minutes. Sonya walked out, so Sasha offered a hand and Shotzi shook it, but Banks added a backstabber for good measure. Sonya then shook her head, disappointed at the entire thing. So there was nothing wrong with this, but it was clunky and not really the match I expected between both of them because they're both really good wrestlers. Maybe it's simply the fact they hadn't worked together and therefore it was just unnatural. Sasha looked off, so this was not worthy of a grade, but Shotzi got a lot of good work in against one of the top women in WWE, and she left the match stronger than she entered it. So because of all those things, they gave him time, the whole deal, I went with good, but it definitely could have been, and I thought it was going to be much better. Yeah, I I mean, I I give it a good because it was fine, and the time, like you mentioned, is important. I, I, I do think it's notable, again, like we said this after Survivor Series, but you know, the reactions during the women's Survivor Series match were nothing unless it was basically Sasha or Bianca. Right. I, I, I mean, Shotzi comes in and there's no reaction at all. And, and, and it, it, we need to get to know more about Shotzi. I, this has been a theme on this episode where I'm saying, OK, but what's the why here? Who is this person? Who is Austin Theory? Who is Shotzi? We still need to get that, I think, other than a short promo after the draft about I'm coming to SmackDown or something like that. Like, you got to give these characters character. You know, if WWE wants to be Marvel, as they like to say, Marvel is great because their characters have personalities, not just they're not they're not just brands. So we got to get to know Shotzi if this is going to work. She's incredibly talented and this is not on her. This is about the presentation of her. So you got to you got to work on that. Absolutely. Staying with SmackDown, Tony Storm backstage was excited about being added to the Survivor Series match. She cut a promo about Charlotte Flair being distracted by her match, which was a good way for her, I think, to get under Charlotte's skin and get a championship match. Flair walked up saying Storm didn't deserve a title chance, but they could definitely fight. And Storm was pleased with that outcome. Uh, It wasn't a notable segment, but Storm on TV being used with main eventers in a storyline where it seems pretty clear she's going to wind up with a title shot. That's a really good first step for her. And 
if she beats Flair to get that title shot, normally I hate when a champion gets beat. Um, and Charlotte did just lose to Becky, so that's obviously not ideal. But if they did have Storm beat her here, knowing that she's not going to beat her for the title, I wouldn't necessarily hate that as much as I normally would. But I did think this was good. It's it's good to get Tony Storm on TV. It seems like they're actually buying into her being a significant member of the roster. Yeah, it, it's a good first step. We, 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 we got to you know, be cautious about where it goes. But if you've got Liv Morgan and Tony Storm as your number one contenders, um, that's good. It's nice. That, it's a nice change. That, it's refreshing. It's exactly, we, it's exactly what we talked about coming out of the draft when when the three of the four horsewomen plus Bianca were the focus of everything. You got to elevate new people. So it's a good first step here uh, for Tony Storm. Absolutely. Uh, we, on Raw, we had Riddle versus Dolph Ziggler. Before the match, Randy Orton was looking for Riddle. When he appeared suddenly dressed as and acting just like Orton, because Orton told him to be more like him. He meant, of course, cerebrally, but he did it physically. Uh, Ziggler hit a great super kick as Riddle flew outside the ring. Riddle hit a power slam and later an RKO on Ziggler for the win. Orton stopped a Robert Root attack and hit him with Broderick, uh, fist bumping Riddle in the finish. So the crowd was incredible for this. The crowd was more hyped for this match than three quarters of the Survivor Series card. This was perfect professional wrestling as far as I'm concerned. Strong ring work. It was fun and semi-funny. It popped the crowd and it opened Raw on a really, really good note. Because you know yeah. what they say, your best friend or your enemy's friend is your friend's enemy and your enemy's friend. It all makes sense. Yep. And th- this is sports entertainment, you know, and it's okay to do that. You know, AW did a Ghostbusters match. Like, you can do these things from time to time. They work. They continue to find new ways to play off the Riddle Orton stuff. You know, when we talk about characters developing traits and personalities and evolving, um, this is that. This is this is exactly that. You know, Riddle is continuing to, you know, they find little tweaks to kind of keep them doing different things together. And it works. So, yeah, definitely good. For sure. Now on Raw, we also had Bobby Lashley versus Ray and Dominic Mysterio in a handicap match. Ray said he doesn't need Dom to fight his battles, but he's extremely proud to fight by his side, represent their family, and not to worry about Lashley because Ray's gone up against guys equally as big as him. It was a good fatherly pep talk deal. Before the match, MVP said he respects Ray as a wrestler, but that he's a bad father because he's exposing his son to Lashley. He also said that when Mysterio's wife gets disgusted by him, um, you know, putting his son in this situation, go ahead, give her my number. And the crowd ate that shit up. They <laughs> loved that. Uh, the Mysterios got a bunch of offense. Lashley caught Dom flying, but Ray flew out of the ring to stop the helicopter. Lashley got up on both of them, but they hit a double 619 and consecutive frog splashes plus a double cover. And Lashley kicked out a 2.5. Lashley then took Ray out and tortured Dom in the hurt lock for the win. I didn't love this. I didn't hate it. It made sense for Lashley to kind of build some of his strength back because he really has been knocked down from all of those losses he took consecutively. Plus, they're clearly doing a Mysterio's family storyline for WrestleMania. So I'm going to say good here because the entire thing was told well. It was wrestled well. There was a good story that was told throughout the entire match. Um, And I didn't necessarily mind Lashley beating these guys two on one, despite, yes, Rey Mysterio being a former champion and a future Hall of Famer. He didn't beat Ray. He took Ray out. He beat Dom. I was fine with it. I thought it was good. Yeah, if you're going to do it, you got to tell that story in the match and explain it. 
and they did. So so that worked. Um, I, I I guess I don't know. I, I didn't. I guess I'm giving this another another light good. You're kind of just waiting and waiting and waiting. Are the Mysterios going to split up or what? It's been the same story with them for feels like a year now <laughs> uh, with against multiple people. It's against Uso, it's against Lashley. Um, so, you know, do something here. This is fine, but, you know, we got to we got to make something of this. I don't want this to be. Lashley versus Ray next week, and then we do another thing, and then we get Ray Mysterio rematches, which is something he always seems to get sucked into. Right. They just uh so we'll see. This is good for now, but we'll see. Now, if you guys think we are being too positive, let me just tell you shit's about to change. Cause the rest of these really, uh, for the most part, are not good. Um, I will say though, it is an indication, and this is something that happens frequently when we do this segment the most important things on the show are generally most of the time good to fine. Mm-hmm. But the back half is can, can be completely terrible. And that back half of booking really weighs down shows. It takes shows that could otherwise be considered good and maybe gives people a different spin on them. So let's get to some of that. On Raw, we had the Street Profits versus AJ Styles and Omos. Montez Ford hit a great standing shooting star on Styles but ate a Pele kick. Angelo Dawkins got thrown out of the ring by Omas every time he entered. He got really pissed and grabbed the bag that they brought with them to the ring. Inside of it was a fire extinguisher. He takes it, uses it on Omas and Styles, who was trying a phenomenal forearm. So he was midair and Dawkins used it on him. I just thought it was stupid. The vi- Now, the visual of Omas getting sprayed in the face was legitimately funny, like that quick little visual. But the faces cost themselves the match when they weren't in imminent danger of losing in that particular moment. And I don't understand what the point of it was. I like all four of these guys, but nothing about this was good wrestling booking. It was nonsensical, and I just thought it was bad. How, how are you going to mess up AJ Styles and Omos and the Street Profits? Like, this is what you're doing? They did. They figured it out. Holy cow, man. Yeah, this is definitely a bad. Just, again, it would have been so hard to not do this wrong. Just like the women's tag match, and 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 they did. So just how about you big. just how about you just don't have this match? Give all the time to the women. Everything's fixed. Yeah, or do backstage promos or something with Omos. Like you want the street profits on your show, but not like that. If you wanted them to spray him in the face with a fire extinguisher, you could do it backstage. Omos pushes one of them. They fall over, hurt themselves. They come up to him later. Blah blah blah. They spray him in the in the face with a fire extinguisher. It's still stupid, but it's not a forced disqualification by faces in a match that they weren't really losing at the time. So yes, there's so many other ways you could have done it on SmackDown. Shinsuke Nakamura fought angel, uh, angel Garza. I still want to call him angel Garza. Rick Boogs took care of Humberto Creo's interference outside and Nakamura hit a Kinshasa in like one minute to beat angel. So he got the win back after losing the tag team match last week for no reason whatsoever. And they gave, Angel and Umberto Los Lotharios, the tag team match win, but can't let him stand up more than one minute against the guy they beat in the tag team match. So this was just barely a match. It made zero impact given it didn't even last three or four minutes. And Nakamura is walking around here. He still doesn't have an intercontinental championship challenger. Why even have a ring on your show if you're not going to let 
people wrestle. It's not a great idea. This was ugly. Yeah, ugly. Not much else to say for the time it got. Um, yeah, I, I, this, again, this is what I said Sunday on our Survivor Series show. C- compare how Nakamura is presented to Bobby Fish or Dante Martin or whoever in, in AW, and it's like, yeah. how, how do you not make him feel like a big deal? He's the freaking Intercontinental Champion. It's... It's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, he feels he feels second fiddle to his own got his own second basically. Yeah, and he has been for a while. Yeah, and he ha- right. I'm honestly and, surprised they still have the title. And I like their pairing, but their pairing should lead to Nakamura being in 15 minute matches that he wins and looks dominant. It should be rejuvenating him, right? Like the mm-hmm. gimmick with uh, Moss, uh, not Moss, um, uh, Rick Boogs. I can't believe I confused them. Uh, playing the guitar and reviving Nakamura when he was in a low point I like against Priest. Use that, like allow yeah. this guy to wrestle. Maybe he struggles a little bit and Boogs is that extra set of energy to boost him up. Like it's, it's fine. The pairing is really good. I love Boogs. I love Nakamura. They're just completely botching the booking. And for this to be SmackDown and them botching the booking like this, it's really surprising. And it goes to show what we're talking about, Raw improving and, and SmackDown really declining in many ways. Speaking of, also on SmackDown, we had Jeff Hardy versus Mad Cat Moss. There was a segment to set this up. Then Hardy said Drew McIntyre would be in his corner. Hardy had a twist of fury when Happy Corbin distracted. Moss tried to move, but Hardy got an inside cradle for the win in one minute. So Jeff Hardy beat Madcap Moss and did it with an inside cradle. I don't mind it being one minute because it's freaking Madcap Moss, but (laughs) an inside cradle. They can't get him to have a finisher. Can't let him look semi-dominant. Nothing. Uh, then McIntyre beat up Corbin and Moss with Hardy hitting the Swanton Bomb in the end. So he hit the Swanton Bomb anyway at the end of the thing. This was a total waste of time, not to mention nonsensical booking, given they were all teammates and there was really no reason for the match to happen at all. Do nothing! Do nothing! Sometimes you just need to do nothing. Do nothing here. Give that other match more time. So stupid. Ugly, Look, we, by the way. Ugly. Yeah, ugly. We talked about Jeff Hardy on the Survivor Series show crowds love this dude still. He is one of the most over people on the roster, I think. And we both think he's a guy you can throw in for a quick title feud with Roman Reigns for a month. Absolutely. Or, or, More. It's not a, it could be too much. It's not a you know, time in the calendar, the pay-per-views, whatever. You can figure something out, do it on SmackDown. I don't know. He's a guy who probably needs to be put up there. He's not a guy who needs to be involved in Happy Corbin, Madcap Morris, uh, Madcap uh, Mad Moss stuff. Um, Jeff Hardy deserves a lot better than this. We talked about, you know, when he was involved in that 24-7 deal and people got, you know, people got mad about it. He, he's basically being used in these situations to try to get new heels over. Karrion Cross, Madcap Moss, whatever. And I get the, like, the theory behind it, but he he's, he's too, he's too good. He's too much of a legend for that right now. If you want to, if you want to use Jeff Hardy in that role, that's fine. You build up a little mini feud over three weeks, four weeks. You have yeah. a match. It goes 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and Hardy loses. And you put over that new person. Exactly. That's 100% fine. Doing this shit, I mean, he won this and we're still angry. Like, it's just because it was unnecessary. It, it just made no sense. I, it's pathetic. Uh, let's stay with SmackDown. 
Uh, Naomi and Aaliyah fought Shayna Baszler and Natalia in a tag team match. The match was literally also one minute, three one minute matches on a single show. Even if you combine them, that's too short for a single match. We had three matches that were one minutes on a single freaking show. The, um, there was a fast count purposeful by the referee to beat uh, Naomi. That was the whole goal of the match. The referee afterward approached Sonya Deville backstage asking if everything like went to plan. Sonya is like, I don't even know what you're talking about. The idea is that Sonya made the referee do the fast count. If you want to do that, okay, I guess that's a trope in wrestling, but I'm fine with it. But it's supposed to be in an important match where you do that, where there's something of consequence or something on the line, a number one contendership, something like that. It's worthless to do it in a random tag team match that has no relevance. And it happened after a minute, not after a hard fought match where it looked like Naomi might win. Exactly. And she, exactly. In every possible way, this was done wrong. So it was absolute piece of shit booking. And yes, once again, totally ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Th- this whole story started off so well. Yeah. And we kept, I, I kept saying after a number of weeks, okay, this is really good, but you gotta land the plane. And we thought they were, they had done that when they had their, their match, but they, it wasn't a real match. And now we're just the whole, the whole thing now is how she, you're just waiting for her to get screwed. There's not like, there's no support behind Naomi anymore because you're just, all right, she's going to get screwed on this, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, you have to, you have to, set up you have to give her something you have to set up stakes she has to be in position in order for her getting screwed to matter you can't just her existing is getting screwed over that 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 doesn't work that doesn't draw support that basically just wears people out man like i don't know if they know what the end of this is i i do not think they know how they know they're gonna end this uh maybe not i it, it does not it feels like they are now just Grasping at straws, trying to find another way to extend it another week, and they'll figure it out at some point. Um, and it's a real shame because this had a lot of heat when this started. But I said, you cannot drag this out forever. And now it's exactly what they're doing. And it's a real shame. It's ugly. They deserve better. It doesn't make sense to anybody because nobody says that. No, I don't understand because nobody understands. Yeah, no, there's no way anyone in the world understands what they're doing here. Uh, we'll move back over to Raw for the uh, penultimate uh, note here in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. 24-7 championship was on the line. Reggie against Cedric Alexander. Cedric caught Reggie with everything, including a lumbar check, which is his finisher, to win the title from him in one minute. Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, Dana Brooks surprised him, uh, Alexander, as he was celebrating with an avalanche neckbreaker, flying off the top rope to hit a neckbreaker to win the title from Alexander as 15 dudes from both brands ran into the ring and stood around not wanting to attack her as she celebrated. WWE promoted it as her first title. She got a very positive mindset type of promo backstage, but no offense to Dana. It was atrocious. It was choppy, obviously scripted. It just was not good. So at first, I thought they might be letting Alexander, I hate to use the term look strong, but get something, right? Like Chew on something. And maybe they would treat the title a little bit more realistically because it was on someone of decent value, someone who's been a tag team champion in WWE before and a cruiserweight champion 
in WWE before. I'm trying to remember whether that's true. Yeah, I think, yeah, he did have the title. Uh, so even thinking that for five seconds makes me a complete moron. Uh, I don't mind the intergender stuff. I don't mind Dana and Alexander mixing it up in theory. And they did it caught by surprise style. So again, they kind of gave him a break on it, but come the hell on. Like, it would be ugly if this wasn't the 24-7 title. So instead of ugly, it's just bad because you can't get too worked up over it. I was happy for Dana. She's been there a long time. But every opportunity, every chance, it seems like, hey, maybe they're going to do something interesting with this. Every time they don't. And mm -hmm. I was even okay with the men not knowing what to do. Commentary explained, like, the guys don't know the rules. Like, can they try to pin her or can <laughs> they not? Eventually, they're going to have to because I'm sure eventually it's going to go back to a man one day. I don't know what they're going to do. They have now two secondary titles on Raw teams with the 24-7 and the women's tag team when the division is epically thin. Maybe that's something that Nikki wins or I, I don't know what they're going to do, but this had like like little individual sparkles of possibility and then they just got completely washed away. So it was bad for me. The only thing I'll add is that take a look at who those men were in the ring. They're all tag teams. They're all the people who were in the battle royal. Mm -hmm. Th yep. This this was this was the plan. They moved all those tag teams from SmackDown, which had a good tag division. They moved them over to Raw, and what are they doing with them? They're putting them in a battle royal, and they're putting them in a twenty four seven chase bit. R remember what Gable and Otis were on SmackDown, and 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 well, see what they're doing now on Raw. Well, one of the, well, first of all, let's let's just be fair though, because the prior three weeks, Gable and Otis were talking to Big E. I mean, you know, this was one segment, so I'm not going to go okay. crazy. Th them, them specifically, but, sure. But, but let me but let me also add, let me also add, the yeah. reason why this is happening is because they fired the bottom fifth yes. of their roster. So the people who were running around with the 24-7 title aren't there anymore for the most part. That's why they're doing this. I don't necessarily mind, like, who the people are, as long as they're not main eventers, because in any given segment, someone could have an opportunity. They get roped along. Like, I, I was I bothered by it? Yes, it wasn't the thing that bothered me the most about it. No, but but just is there a tag team feud going on that's not involving the titles? I guess AJ no. and Austin the Street Profits. Oh right? yes, kind of. Okay, yes, kind of. Yeah. I guess there's that. That that's it. This was the problem we mentioned on the draft though, which was all these tag teams are going over to Raw. They're not going to do all these different tag team feuds. While on while SmackDown did a pretty good job with tag team yes, feuds. Yes. Um, so that's just that's a concern now that they're that the tag team division is less so because of how they arrange the rosters. And this segment was a reminder of it. And then lastly, here there was a comic book anime style vignette for Zia Lee recounting her poor family being kicked out of a house by a landlord and her standing up to him. And I guess that transitioned her into her character, which is Zylee the Protector. By the way, I think that's a very good wrestling nickname. Um, the Protector, that's pretty cool. It's like a legit superhero type of deal. Um, now, I didn't think they'd give her this much build. I was pleasantly surprised by this. Still, the last time we got this much effort from vignettes was Aleister Black, and he was released after making one appearance following the vignettes. So I can't get that excited about the entire thing, even though I do think Zylee is pretty damn interesting. And I do hope that she gets an opportunity on SmackDown. So I'm going to say good because I'm grading the vignette and I'm, I'm grading the effort. 
but I am pessimistic about the execution of her career going forward. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, vignettes are fine. They're, they're, they're good. I give it a good, but it, it tells me nothing about what they think of her and what could happen. I mean, we've had it. You mentioned the Alistair Black vignettes. We don't get no Elias in vignettes anymore. They just stopped. That yeah. just that just stopped. So I don't know. All right, sure. Vignettes are cool, but until we see something and uh, until we see something, I don't have much more thought than that. Yeah, I mean, people that they've been trying to pump up the vignette generally <laughs> it hasn't worked out recently. Even though and those they do, are, and they and they do a good job with vignettes. They by do the way, in general, and they're Again, important. We, we, yes, absolutely. But we've just been. We've just been uh, burned so many times, even in the last six months. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. As as good as the Zia Lee one was, over on Raw, this isn't something we have to judge, but they keep showing the Veer Mahan video package. They've done it like four weeks in a row. It's identical every time. They're not telling us anything about him. This is the guy who was uh, Ringu Singh, I believe his name, the million dollar arm, like legit, the Disney movie, the guy oh, that yeah. the movie's written off of. And they just show us like, the four moves he's ever done in a WWE ring in a video package. So they, they they seem like they're trying to make him into something. And by the way, I think he has a lot of potential. Like he seems like he's going to be someone mm-hmm. who could mm-hmm. be a good wrestler and a good heel wrestler akin to Rusev, like the original version of Rusev. I think he has the potential to be like that, but they're doing nothing to convince us or tell us anything about him other than he's Indian and he's strong and that's it. So Again, on one hand, we have Zaylee. On the other, we have Veer Mahan. That's all. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Uh, the, the, Veer, he was, was he the one who was face-to-face with Omas in the Battle Royal? Or was that someone else? No, that was Shanky. I'm almost positive. That was Shanky. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think that was true. So, and yeah, by the way, Shanky um, for me is the opposite. I don't believe he has any chance of succeeding. No offense to yeah, the guy. But. We've been, we've been um, pleasantly surprised a few times we've seen Veer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, there's a story to tell with him. Tell us a story. <laughs> like it's I, an I, I easy don't story. It. Like it's so I, I don't crazy. get I don't get they, they just they're so obsessed with characters as brands and not as people, and it really hurts. And by the way, Veer, a very rare occasion where WWE lengthened someone's name and gave him a last name as opposed to just going with a first name, though I presume that was for copyright and trademark reasons. Um so that is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's spend the remainder of this show and we'll try to make it relatively quick here, talking about the latest set of WWE releases. Let me do a very quick count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight people were released from WWE. Uh, There's two sets of people that are the most notable, but we'll talk about everyone. The first is John Morrison, who was released very shortly after his wife, uh, Frankie Monet, much better known as Taya Valkyrie, was released. She was in NXT, never even got a chance to be called up to the main roster. It seemed, Chris, like John, they were doing some new type of meditation gimmick with him after the draft and they were prepping him to do something. Um, You know, it wasn't good. It wasn't anything extensive. He's gone. He had that breakup with The Miz uh, that was supposed to result, we thought, in a feud and it was pretty explosive breakup. And The Miz went off to do Dancing with the Stars and they never followed up on it. Miz hasn't come back yet. So there's been nothing for them to do. Um, And I think we both agree about John, which is every time he's ever been in WWE, he's had greater potential than they've used. And it's just astounding. They can't figure out a way to use this guy. For me, 
it was pretty obvious, I thought, that they were going to release him once they released his wife. Uh, maybe he, I don't think he asked for it based on the way his wife um, reacted to the news, but maybe they did. I don't know. But obviously, if I was him, I'd be extremely upset when it was Taya's life goal as a wrestler to work for WWE. She got six months, barely did anything in NXT. I mean, she was on TV, but they barely did anything with her. And when she should have been called up to the main roster directly anyway, that whole situation sucks. I hate that they lost John Morrison. His return to WWE, um, it probably went largely as I expected. I never thought they'd make him a main eventer or give him significant run. But at the same time, I'm still disappointed because I like the guy. He's proven that he can be funny. The dripstick shit was legitimately funny. The Johnny Drip Drip stuff. Um, the, all the water references, the, the, the moist guy, what was it? Uh, the moist man, something like that. Um, America's moist wanted, I think is what it was. All that shit. I found it pretty funny. The play on words. It sucks that he's gone. Um, another example of WWE having something and not really realizing what they have. Yeah, man, this guy, this guy's so talented. I, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. He continues to find new ways to stay relevant, to stay funny, to stay interesting. I think about that. I think three match bit he did with Ricochet. We finally got the Prince Puma versus yes, uh, Johnny yes. Mundo matches. And the. I think they were all in the Thunderdome, but man, those were exciting. Um, yeah, it, it, he. I, I kept saying it for a while with the Miz stuff, but like he was funnier than the Miz. I wanted to see more of him. I was looking forward to that Miz feud and him kind of being his own thing. And it's unfortunate uh, that it didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, the guy also guy also looks incredible. He looks the exact same as he did 15 That's years insane, ago. Dude is ridiculously talented. I, I don't know where he'll end up, uh, what his name exactly will be. But um, yeah, I mean, just shout out to John Morrison for being really, really good at what he does. And I wish he had gotten more of a chance to really, really shine. He got a lot of TV time, but I wanted him to kind of get a moment, get some time to shine. He got those ricochet matches, but wasn't much more than that. Yeah, and he easily could have been a mid-card champion. Like, there's a lot yes, more they could have yes. done with him. Guy's 42 years old. First of all, he looks 32. looks younger than I yeah. Um, And he always reminded me of John Stamos, just as like that older guy who's yeah. always there, who's handsome, women like him, but he never ages. And yeah, that's the that's always the category that I put him in. Um, perhaps even more debilitating. In fact, definitely more debilitating to WWE's long-term roster is the fact that they also released the remaining three members of Hit Row after releasing B-Fab one week or two weeks, whatever it was earlier. They cut Swerve, Isaiah Swerve Scott, former Shane Strickland, Top Dollar, AJ Francis, and Ashanti the Adonis. And I gotta say, man, um, long-time listeners of this podcast, since the, you know, just this show, Getting Over, People who know how much I love NXT and how much I love Swerve as a wrestler and a talent, there's no younger person in WWE who I was higher on than Swerve. Just period. Um, forget the race aspect of it. I thought he could have been WWE's next Kofi Kingston in that he has the athleticism, he has the mic ability, uh, he has the type of in-ring talent that would get the crowd behind you, similar body type, absolutely. A little bit bigger, I think, uh, now, that I, now that I think about it. But he has that swagger, that, that presence where you say, man, I want to, this guy to get a chance. Just like everyone always wanted Kofi and Dolph Ziggler. He's very similar to Dolph Ziggler as well. 
You always want those guys to get the opportunity because you know if they get it, they can absolutely run with it. And it is my absolute astonishment that even if WWE was going to fire Top Dollar and Ashanti the Adonis, both of whom I am not trying to sell short. I thought Adonis is a very good wrestler, has a lot of swag also, and just has a really unique, had a really unique type of look and character. Uh, Top Dollar, not as good as the other two in the ring. Very good on the mic, had a good look. Of course, Hit Row in totality. You guys know I loved the gimmick and I thought it could have worked. They were, I think, a third round draft pick of SmackDown and now they're fired and they got called up so quickly from NXT. You're saying, wow, WWE must really believe in this. Yet they not only fire BFAB, who definitely was the weakest of the group, not only fire the other two guys, but fire a dude who, along with Austin Theory, could have been one of those young pillars of WWE going forward. I cannot express enough how absolutely mind bleeped I was when I heard that they released Swerve. You want to talk about unforced errors? This guy is going to show up in AEW. He's going to be a TNT champion before the end of 2020. And he has the opportunity to be like their fifth pillar. They gave them a young talent on a silver effing platter to go dominate them with, meaning AEW dominating WWE. I am, I was so incredibly hurt that Hit Row, which was one of the most legitimate, realistic feeling groups that WWE's produced in a long time with characters that felt the same way, that they didn't even get a sniff of an opportunity after getting called up to the main roster like a month earlier, featured in vignettes and selected in the third round of the draft. Absolutely pathetic. This is a total indictment on WWE's creative, its booking, its philosophy. The fact that you could not make this work or chose, forget could not, chose not to make this work, absolutely pathetic. Yeah, I I didn't watch them as much as you because I didn't follow NXT that much. I don't know a ton about Isaiah Swerve Scott. I only really started to come across them after they got drafted and after Top Dollar cut that diss track on the Young Bucks, uh, which was really good. And I, I he cut another another track um, upon his release. It's pretty good as well. And it's like, man, all these people were incredibly talented. They they had such. I think you said it well. The the team that they were so unique. They had so many different skills and personalities, and they felt real. And they felt like something you could build a lot around. And they all had their own thing. Like Top Doll is great on the mic. He's the big man, the muscle. I I saw that clip of him in NXT when he's got like three. He's holding up like three dudes. Like, man, I, I'm just, it just goes to show you that they have no plans for anything. To, to put them in the draft two months ago, be a third round pick, to debut them, and then to release them. How, we, we've seen this time and time again. Someone starts a feud, someone gets called up, and they're immediately gone. It's like, it's it just begs the larger question of what the heck is going on. And with more and more, with every new round of releases, the more and more I'm convinced that they are going to sell the company. I know we weren't sure at the, at I still the time back. You know, when, I I just I don't I don't see. I they might not. I'm just I think about it more and more and more with every round of cuts when there's clearly just not plans that are not in place. So there's no long term planning. We've never seen a year like this, and that so many rounds of cuts. It's just yeah, 
It's just really weird. They were the thing with them is they were authentic and Swerve had yes. that potential. It was just ridiculous. There were other cuts yep. as well. I don't mean to sell these people short. Uh, Tegan Knox was cut. She got called up with Shotzi and Knox uh, in the tag team. Got zero opportunity on the main roster. Pathetic cutting her. Extremely, extremely talented. Um, but you know, to be fair, we have to we call it both ways. She got injured three times and was out for extended periods of time uh, in NXT. And maybe they looked at her and said, if she's going to get injured, she has two bad knees. Does it really make sense keeping her? I don't know. I was hurt that she was released. Drake Maverick was released for the second time, obviously. He was released, brought back to NXT. I think the writing was on the wall with him, unfortunately. He's extremely talented. He'd cut a really great um, video promo upon his release. John Cena even retweeted it, which was awesome to see. Sucks, you know, that he didn't get the opportunity. Shane Thorne, uh, the former Slapjack. Uh, nothing has ever worked out for him in his entire WWE career. He was in TM61 um, in NXT. That didn't work. Uh, his partner went back to Australia. As a singles performer, didn't work. Retribution as Slapjack didn't work. They apparently started allowing him to do like an Australian outback type of gimmick on dark matches and house shows and stuff. Shane Thorne, it just, it wasn't going to work out in WWE. Not that he's not talented. He is. He could work anywhere. He's an extremely good wrestler. It never seemed like a fit for WWE. And then they also released Jackson Riker. And that was, to me, the most obvious and predictable one. I'm shocked it didn't happen months ago. Let's just be honest about it. Um, so look, that's me wrapping up everyone else. Do you have any takes on any of them? No, last thing is just, I just keep wondering what Triple H is doing, feeling, hope he's okay health-wise. You know, yeah. this is the longest stretch we've gone without hearing from him in a long time. And obviously he had a cardiac incident or whatever it was. It was, it was very serious. But yeah, NXT and his... Everything he's built has largely been dismantled with him not out there publicly. And I just keep wondering how he feels about it. I don't know if we'll ever know, but uh, also hope he's uh, doing all right. Well said, Chris. Yes, still best wishes to Paul Levesque. I did see a a social media video of him walking around WWE's new um, building that they're creating and and doing. Uh, They're they're putting together, uh, constructing. So he's up, he's walking around. Seems to be in good health to do those types of things. But yes, I'd like to hear from him publicly. I'd like to see him on TV, something, just to know that this guy uh, is okay. And and that is important as well. But another tough situation with all of the releases um, and a, a tough way to end a show that in many ways, you know, at least the beginning part of the show was, was positive. Um, but we have to keep the perspective here of these releases are ridiculous. It's been, you know, nearly 90 talents um, in a calendar year. It's absolutely absurd. And there's 15 of them that are just like mind boggling that WWE would ever release. So we will see what the um, end result is of all of this uh, further down the line. I guess that's the only way that we can really put it. That is the end though of today's WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. A reminder uh, that this show, as always, it's only about one thing. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop those five-star ratings and reviews. Let people know how much you love the show. And also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, where we drop every single episode as soon as it gets published. Speaking of that, the schedule for the remainder of the week, Wednesday night or Thursday morning, I'm not exactly sure which yet, but one of the two, we will have our AEW and NXT episode, obviously with Thanksgiving on Thursday. I want to make sure the show gets out as early as possible. That way you all can listen to it. If you're traveling, driving to people's houses, I will try to make the show 
as short as I possibly can, given that we had two long WWE shows back to back. I'll try to do it in bite-sized format, especially the NXT portion. That way it's easy listening uh, over this holiday week. I hope all of you have a very, very happy Thanksgiving and a very successful, if you are so into it, Black Friday. Uh, Thank you all for listening to today's show. We will be back, like I said, Wednesday slash Thursday, and then again next week on Tuesday for another WWE episode. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silver, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.